In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. I am coming down from a pretty intense and yet completely fulfilling weekend. I attended TravelCon this last weekend in Memphis, and it was the first conference that I had ever attended really based for travel content creators. And all I can say, it was completely nourishing for my soul. And I know there's a lot, you know, coming out of whatever that thing was the last couple of years and connecting with people and finding a group of people that kind of get what you're doing and what you're working towards and what you're passionate about. It was really fun to find a group of people. Although I will say there weren't a lot of family travel type individuals at this conference. So that was a little bit of a, it was an interesting observation. Let's just say that. But between the 80 degree weather in Memphis and Listening to some of the most prophetic writers, travel writers, Pico Iyer is the man I'm referring to. If you have not read any of Pico Iyer's work, it's pretty astonishing. He truly was the cost of admission for me. I was really looking forward to that. But there was other breakout sessions too, like monetizing a travel website, being a successful digital nomad, learning how to pitch to brands. I don't know, just a lot of really interesting things and and really fascinating people to talk to. Pauline Fromer was also a keynote and her dad started the Fromer's travel brand, which creates guides. I mean, they have millions of visitors every single day and they started back in the 1950s, I believe, or actually even earlier than that. So truly just people that have been around in the industry, also really talented people like Jeff Goins, who wrote the book, Real Artists Don't Starve. So like I said, really fascinating people really nourishing, great weather. Having some sun on my face was such a treat. (laughs) Sometimes it's the little things, right? But I also wanted to share that I feel so strongly about this that I'm actually sharing the virtual pass with all of you. There's a link in my show notes. You can get access to every single session. And there were hundreds, like I'm actually going back already and listening to some of them. So if you're interested at all in content creation or in the travel industry space, you might want to purchase, it's $99 for a virtual pass. And I am an affiliate, just so you know that if you do actually purchase a pass, and I'll have the link in the show notes, it's ordinarysherpa.com backslash travelcon, T-R-A-V-E-L-C-O-N. I will get a little kickback. So you'll actually be supporting Ordinary Sherpa as well. But truly, 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 I've completely energized and exhausted. (laughs) You know, you come to those events with so much energy and you're so excited to meet people. And I got home really early, like 2am early on Monday morning and then went to work. So overall, I'm tired. And if anyone wants to help kickstart me into May, which May is going to be a huge month for us. I have over a dozen podcast recordings scheduled. I have the book launch. If you aren't familiar, if you haven't been following along, Beyond Normal, a field guide to embrace adventure, explore the wilderness, and design an extraordinary life with kids is launching on May 17th. 
We also just have a ton of spring activities. You know, I think I have kids going in multiple directions. And so it's just a, it's just a wrap up period of time. And we also will be launching ourselves into summer with a RV expedition of the great north. So it is definitely going to be an event filled month for us. So I guess all that to say is I am accepting coffee as a source of fuel to help make it through. I kind of am joking, but I'm actually kind of serious. I never have really taken ads or sponsorships or anything like that. So I do, though, allow people to buy me a cup of coffee. It's an easy way to say thank you and support the show. There is a link in my show notes. So if you go to buy me a coffee, I think it's backslash ordinary Sherp or Sherpa. It's something Ord Sherp, maybe. But the link is directly in the show notes. It's not one easy to repeat. Let's just say that. So you will want to look at the show notes for that one. But if you want to go deeper, you can also just, you know, always support any of the links. I always put links in every episode. So you can always go to the Facebook group, join my email list. There's a lot of different ways you can support the show. So you don't feel like you have to buy anything. In fact, a review is free. A written review on the podcast It's completely free, takes two minutes of your time, and is always appreciated. I'm so close. I'm still so close to 100. It's just like sitting there at 93, 94. Let's see what happens this week. This episode is really around recovery and the outdoors. It's a combination that I thought was really fascinating. And when I came across this LinkedIn post, which I'm going to share with you in depth right now, and then I'll talk about it later in the episode, I really felt like there was something here that resonated both with me and I think there's something here for my audience. So I'm going to read what I read when I was on LinkedIn one day. Today marks two years without alcohol. While I know that LinkedIn is supposed to be a professional place, I won't stop talking about sobriety here. The more I see it out in the open, the more it is normalized, the more we elevate our compassion and empathy for others, the more others who are struggling can feel seen. This past year was all about living. The first year seemed to be about thinking, about therapy, looking inward, and in the second year, I've been actually able to live the values and beliefs I've reclaimed as my own. Giving up alcohol is still the best decision I've ever made. I don't think I would have quit my job and started my own business with alcohol still in my life. I don't think I would be actively trying new things like skiing or ukulele. I don't think I would be as stoked as I am. So here's to keeping things going and a year three and all the lessons it will bring. If you looked at LinkedIn, you might find out that our guest today is a coach, consultant, strategist, copywriter, and editor. But let's face it, we're all more than the LinkedIn titles and profiles that we share in the world. Recently, I came across Emily and her content, sharing some of the hidden stories that we don't talk about in public. The stories that often get hushed and overlooked in favor of the more normal life trajectory. As the host and producer of the Nature Untold podcast, she tells stories of sobriety, addiction, and recovery in the outdoor community and industry. I'm honored to have Emily Holland on today. Emily, welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thanks so much for having me, Heidi. It's great to be here. Yeah, and I want to go back to this LinkedIn thing, because this is really how I came across you. And if you don't mind, I'm going to share just a tidbit of something you posted a couple months ago that really intrigued me and I thought gave voice. I work full-time in community development work. I see and hear the stories of sobriety and people in recovery. And so I just want to kind of highlight this because I think it's really profound. Today marks two years without alcohol. And I know that's maybe not professional to share on LinkedIn. It also marks the beginning of me living. It's about how we can elevate compassion and empathy for others. And I'm never going to stop talking about sobriety. And you go on and it's a very profound, actually, it really intrigued me. So I'm kind of curious, though, what, what was it that inspired you to share this on LinkedIn? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And and I kind of indicated a little bit in the actual copy of it. But, you know, I had the great fortune of working for a corporate company, uh, Forrester Research, that really honored the full experience of the folks that worked there. And I really felt very lucky to be in a working environment that had that available to it. So they really encouraged us to show up as we are with any of the maybe non-traditional, unprofessional pieces of ourselves coming through on a daily, you know, weekly basis. And so I was sort of channeling a bit of what I learned at that company and saying, you know, a lot of the reason that people feel scared to overcome maybe their addiction or even face what might be a challenging relationship with a substance or an item or whatever mm-hmm. The reason why people don't feel like they can come out against that and overcome it is because they feel like they don't see any examples or they think it's taboo to talk about. And so I was kind of channeling both, right? It's like showing up authentically as a professional person out in the world, living your life and trying to do good work for the clients or people that you work with. And also honoring that I have literally so many examples of times where I've said something almost innocuous to me and seemingly not very profound. And then I will hear from someone that it made a really big impact on them. And so I just think that's a great example of, you know, you never know how much your voice is needed and how much one thing can really impact someone and be exactly what they need to hear at that exact time. Yeah, exactly. And that's the power of story. And I'm going to put the full copy in the show notes just because I didn't want to read it all because I was going to murder it up a little bit. But I realized I'm like, there's a lot in that copy that I think is meaningful. So I will share that in the show notes. I appreciate that because I think we are kind of, oh, I don't know, conditioned maybe to only bring part of ourselves or to show Mm. part of ourselves publicly. And so when we can honor the fullness of our lives and honor what's beneath the surface, I think it allows for deeper and more meaningful connection as well. When we were talking earlier, I know you talked a little bit about how you have kind of built on this journey and the power of the outdoors in your journey. Can you talk a little bit more about your journey, actually, and what kind of led to this moment of deciding, first of all, to seek sobriety and recovery? And how did you get there? Yeah, I mean, I guess one might say that my journey to that started very young, I started drinking when I was 14 years old, and I had a lot of you know, traumatic experiences with drinking involved. I was pretty reckless. I'm diagnosed depressed as well. So I had a basically a big storm when I was an angsty teenager <laughs> of basically a dark cloud over me. And when I was drinking, I thought that that was sort of making me more part of the in-group. And also it was numbing that dark cloud. And it actually was just intensifying cloud into maybe like a more tornado style (laughs) cloud. It just exasperates it or it doesn't make anything better go away. Yeah, totally, totally. And so for years, I was a pretty heavy drinker. I mean, naturally in college, I was a pretty big partier. And then right after college, a couple years in my early 20s, I really felt like I was drinking all the time and doing drugs. And I knew somewhere inside myself that that was not the life that I wanted to live. And so I did start to sort of re-enter into my love of the outdoors that I had learned at an early age when I was in sort of my mid-20s. And 
I moved away from New York City, which is helpful if you feel like you have a substance use disorder. And at least for me at the time, and I moved to Boston, which, you know, obviously there's its own issues up in Boston for drinking and stuff, but it's closer to many mountain ranges and bigger natural areas. So, you know, I started to get more into nature. And through that, I sort of found uh, new groups of friends, you know, met my partner who, you know, we met at work, but we both bonded on loving going outdoors. So all these things sort of happened in my mid to late 20s. And eventually, I got to a point where we were moving to Colorado. And we wanted to be very intentional about where we lived, because we were sick of, you know, driving three hours one way to get to the mountains, Um, Mm -hmm. we wanted to live in it. And I wanted to be really intentional about that move and use it as an opportunity to reset a lot of the damaging narratives I was having with myself. And so I went back to therapy, a very intensive therapy when we got here a couple of years ago. And as I was sort of working through some healing of you know familial things and traumatic experiences that I had and some eating disorder stuff, just a real cocktail, if you will, no pun intended, and <laughs> it became increasingly obvious to me that a big part of my emotional turmoil was my relationship with alcohol. And at this time, I wasn't using it a lot. Like I would have one or two drinks if we went out. And usually that was just on the weekends, you know, very minimal drinking. But I noticed that when I did it, I was different. I was Mm -hmm. more emotionally reactive. I questioned, you know, people's intentions a lot more irrationally. I was not nice to myself, meaning I would have, you know, damaging conversations with myself about my body or my life or my Mm -hmm. career. And it just got to a point where I was so sick of having the conversation with myself of, you shouldn't have drank that much last night. Why did you drink that much? And, or when I'm going out, like you're only going to drink this amount. And then if I drink more of that, I'm always calculating all these things that just took up so much of my brain space and I was just done. So I wouldn't say that I was at like a physically dependent space when I decided to stop. And in fact, I never thought I would be like continuously sober for a long time. I just said, I'm going to take three months off and see how I feel at that point and sort of reflect on it. And now it's over two years later and it is something that is really important to me. One of my biggest things that I would say I can hang my hat on as far as like a reason for the good things that have happened in my life in the last two years And at the same time, it's not the entirety of my identity as well, Mm -hmm. which I think is quite important, at least for me in my own path with it. Yeah, you mentioned a couple things I want to pull. So I want to start, first of all, congratulations, because I think the active choice that you made to seek sobriety and maintain it, even after three-month experiment, I think is extremely, I know how hard it can be, right? (laughs) And it's easy to fall back into those when the opportunity presents itself. So I just want to say kudos, congratulations. And I really applaud you, you for taking the courage to try it and sustain it for over two years. I think one thing that you said that was really important was you wanted to make space in your brain. So it's almost, and I think about this a lot because sometimes people are like, well, how do you find the time or how do you 
you know, have these good ideas or good experiences. And I think one of the things you mentioned was like, well, if I get rid of some of the stuff I don't like, I can make space for the stuff I do like. Is that kind Mm -hmm. of a fair, like by opting out of alcohol, you were making space for the things you really could thrive in in your life. Is that what you've discovered through this? Yeah, I don't think at the moment, I I think I was just too tired, to be honest, at the moment, like, but looking back, that is certainly the case. Like, I wouldn't have been able to leave my corporate job and be in a safe place financially with that and make rational decisions about money and then be able to try to build a business. Like, all of these things are super important within the sobriety journey. Like, I just don't think my brain would fire on the same (laughs) same cylinders if I was still drinking. And so there's no way that I can say like, definitely, if I was still drinking, I wouldn't have X, Y, and Z. I can't say that for sure. But I have a strong inclination that that is the case. And, you know, to be honest, like that is a very similar trajectory to a lot of eating disorder recovery as well. Like we find that when we're in healing from an eating disorder, you have spent so much of your life and your time calculating calories, weight, activity, all these different things, depending on the eating disorder. And then when you feel like you're getting in a better place with it, you have all this time and brain space that Mm -hmm. needs to sort of be taken up in some capacity or another. Yeah, it reminds me too, you know, not at all related, but somewhat, I'll just go with me for this. I hear a lot of people because why people use, right? Or why do people crave these substances, I think is an escape. And I think people use that for different things. Like, so they might escape life and eat. They might escape a life and drink. They might escape life and travel. And I think sometimes we glorify travel as like a safe escape because it's not harming your body. But yet at the same time, I think, is that really what you need right now? Is not that I don't think people should travel, but I do think sometimes the way people glorify travel is actually detrimental in some ways. Like you actually just need to let go of some of the things in your life so that you can make space for the things that bring you joy. It's kind of, you know, this escape versus reset. Like, what if we just need a reset? You don't need to keep escaping your life. Like, let's design a life that you like as opposed to like keep escaping it. Yeah. One thing that's interesting to reflect on within that, I think is a good practice for people to start to have some curiosity around is just if you have a habit or something that you know, you're kind of like, I don't, this doesn't really fit into like what I really want for my life. I think it's really important to, before you just grab the drink or book the flights or, you know, exercise your heart out without any thought or binge eat or something like that, before you go into that action, if you can put a little bit of space in between and just say, okay, what is the reason I'm reaching for these things? Like be curious about that. And it's not in a way to be harsh to yourself. Like don't be beating yourself up about it. It's just gathering data points. Like why am I always trying to get a beer when I feel this? Yeah. What's that about? Like that might be interesting to take a look at. And I think the other thing too, that's helpful with any sort of habitual reframing, which of course, if you have a physical dependence on something, it's, it's it's a bit harder. But there's like a rule in a lot of habit books that if you just wait five minutes before you <laughs> do the thing that you know is going to be destructive to you, that desire will probably dissipate. And I'm not saying that that can happen with alcohol all the time. But if you start to train your brain to think and wait before you give it its reward, it will be easier to like be very intentional about what you're doing throughout the day. Yeah. 
it reminds me, I'm going to go off on a little bit different, but that, that habit, that language, that space that we create between the stimulus and the response, it reminds me of a quote by Viktor Frankl, who survived the Holocaust and was a psychologist and stuff. It's fascinating. He says, between the stimulus and the response is the space. And that space is your power. Like, you mm. get to decide what happens in that space. And that's where your power exists. And I love, I've always loved that phrase as like a, a visual for me, like, okay, how do I create space between this and this? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that quote. And I love Viktor Frankl. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Kind of related to space, actually, is you had mentioned, you know, you were really intentional about where you were going to move because you wanted it to really support things that you were interested in. Or you had made reference to, you know, it's not three hours to the mountains anymore. How important was it to you to have proximity in nature or proximity to other things that were bringing you joy as you were considering this reset? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was probably... 85% of our decision was mm -hmm. being close to the things that we love to do. And the other thing is that we wanted to infuse it in our weekly practices, not just we have to wait to the weekend and then we go up and it's like this big production. But like, I want to go on a hike on a Wednesday afternoon when I feel like it with my dog. Like those types of things were really important in our decision-making process to move to Colorado. I mean, if anyone from the Northeast is listening, they probably know that a big part of the decision was also the freaking winters in the Northeast yeah. are terrible. <laughs> yeah. And there's not only that they're cold and harsh, it's that it's super gray. And, you know, you get to the spring and the summer and you forget all about seasonal affective disorder. And then you get back into winter and you're like, oh, right, this is terrible uh, here. Uh, yeah. A thing, a uh, thing. Yes. For those, I am a Midwesterner, a fellow Wisconsinite, yeah. so I can attest to that. It's hard. It's hard. I do <laughs> yeah. appreciate the seasons and I do love winter, but boy, some sunshine would yeah. be fabulous. I want to change gears just a little bit because I know when we were talking, you said growing up, your love of the outdoors kind of made you different and other. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what was that othering aspect that prompted you to retreat, like leave the outdoors as a part of your identity for a temporary period of time? Yeah, great question. I think that, you know, when I was really young, it was just like part of our family dynamic. You know, every summer we went on one camping trip and we went on one trip to a lake in the Adirondacks called Brant Lake. And we would get like a cabin and we'd like fish and boat and swim and hike and all that. So it was really infused in my childhood. And furthermore, I mean, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm. So we mm. were working the land. And that was a part of our outdoors experience as well, you know, like helping to fertilize, helping to make sure that the trees are shaped well, a lot of, you know, lawn mowing on the property, <laughs> like a lot of outdoor labor, if you will. And whether it was true or not, I felt a lot of shame about that, you know, and about having to work the land or about these trips that we would take that maybe didn't seem as like luxurious or wild as some folks who maybe they went to Whistler to go skiing for a week together. So I think that some of it might have been imagined, but some of it was just that people who are living in my town in upstate New York, like I didn't really know a lot of people that were very outdoorsy in that place. So it did give me a sense of feeling like weird and other. And I also think that like, man, I think high school is so freaking hard. And I just yeah. like, 
Wow. I can't imagine raising a high schooler at this point. I know you have kids and like, (laughs) wow, it was a crazy time. But anyways, all to say, I think that anytime you feel slightly outgroup within high school, if you don't have a good sense of self and good security in who you are, you know, from the very beginning, then it's really hard to feel like you can overcome those senses of being othered and have the confidence to be like, no, it's fine. Like I like these things and that's okay. So that's kind of where it came from. And I would say, you know, even through college, it sort of lasted and felt like a continuation of high school in that way. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that too. I grew up on a fish farm and I can relate to the aspect of like manual work was where we found a lot of, I mean, I didn't mind it, but it does seem like you are an other in that space. And yeah, the high school thing, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so terrible. And sometimes I watch shows now that like include high school things. I'm very like, I love watching like stupid YA stuff. (laughs) I, oh man, it breaks my heart when I see how cruel people are to each other. And I'm like, that is not inaccurate. (laughs) It's bad. Oh gosh. So this is part of my focus actually is like, why the outdoors? (laughs) Yeah, I've often joked. I'm like, the trees have never yelled at me or picked on me or made fun of me, even if I was by myself. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly. There's something about the outdoors and nature that is really welcoming. And yeah, maybe actually what drew you back? You know, how did the outdoors kind of welcome you back when you were ready for that? Yeah, I started to go hiking again. And I grew up near the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. And it's beautiful up there. It's like perfect Appalachia. There's great little mountain towns. And so when I moved away from New York, I kind of felt like I needed a New York City, that is, I needed a reset. And so I took some time to, you know, go hiking in the Adirondacks and re-engage with that. I had like a friend or two from high school that had gotten into hiking, ironically, and would like ask me to go. My sister was into it at the time, so she was asking me to go. So it had sort of all these people sort of pulling me in that direction in a great way. And then then I started to just think, okay, well, I could just go on my own as well. And I also got into rock climbing at the time, like I started going to the gym. And then when I met my partner, and he was so psyched on outdoors and rock climbing and all of that, you know, it was just like the perfect combination of me getting back into it, and then him being so willing to go up and go into the mountains from Boston as well. So that got me back into it. And I knew, like I was saying before, sort of like subconsciously, I knew I I needed like something bigger in my life. And drinking had been it and partying had been it for a long time. And I I knew that that wasn't really how I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like you found connection. Is that a fair statement? Like as you found more and more opportunities to be in the outdoors, you met your partner, you mentioned, and you met friends. And is that now the new... I don't want to say the new space, but was that now the place where you went for community? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a big reason that we moved to Boulder too, is like the people, it's so important who is around you. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the habits that you can create and the way that you can build your life is really dependent on environmental factors, meaning like, what does your community like to do as well? If your community is, you know, going to different breweries every weekend, which like, fair enough, if that's a hobby of yours then that's what you're going to be more inclined to do. So moving to Boulder was a big, that was great for us because we were like, wow, people really love the outdoors here. Like we thought we loved it. They really love it here. So yeah, I think I think connection is a big part of it. And that's a big part of the stories that we tell on, on my podcast as well is just like 
that is a big reason for people to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or any substance at all, because they don't feel connection. And then there's sort of this obvious other piece of that, which is like nature is a place to feel connected to yourself, to others, and to like the greater world and global community. I think we sometimes overlook that there are certain things that are maybe softer skills or nice things to have, and we don't maybe give credit to the power of community or the people in our lives and what Mm -hmm. they enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, Part of the reason I, I kind of started this podcast too is I know we're a little bit weird, right? I am in my 40s now, so I can welcome that and honor it and like say it with pride. I don't know that that's the same story that my kids have. And so I want to find other families so they see it and they're exposed to it. And we're doing these things together with other families and community. And we see a lot of adults. We see tons of adults, a lot of single adults, a lot of young adults. And I was like, where are the families? And it's getting better. But I think that was one of my you know, conscientious things is I don't want them to go into high school thinking they're weird because, well, we are. But yeah, <laughs> I want them to feel included and have a weird tribe with them. And be proud of like, this is the kind of cool stuff that our family does with our other community members, like very cool, you know, like being excited to offer that up as something about themselves is, you know, that's what I think is like, so cool about the newest generation is they do very much seem way more confident in themselves and like less likely to allow for any sort of like bullying and things like that. So I, I do like from a very pulled out view that looks like it's hopeful. And in going back to the community piece, I mean, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, but I am no longer a religious person. But growing up, we went to church for a while. And I recently had the opportunity to go to a progressive church in Longmont called Left Hand Church. And a friend just asked me to go and I had no plans that night. And I was like, you know what, this is great. I want to experience this. I think it's good to sort of experience different pieces of different religions at certain points in your life. And, mm-hmm. oh man, I left there feeling like, no wonder this is so important for so many people. Because I think in this like non-religious world, if you live in that, there is no place that you actively come together with people every single week that is community-based and positive and people want to support each other. Yeah, It is really hard to find that unless you like create it yourself. So I think there's tons of awesome communities out there. Obviously, you are doing that work that people can join and they can find that within the nature community as well. I think it's just so important. I totally understand why people want that through their, mm-hmm. their religious beliefs. Yeah. And that's part of, I think, you know, I hear over and over people are struggling. Like, how do you find your tribe? How do you find like, who are the people and how did you find them? I'm like, I don't, it's hard to explain. Like, I think sometimes it's happenstance, right? I was on this trail at this time and randomly talked to a stranger and now we text each other. You know, I think sometimes it's really circumstantial and you can't always predict who's going to be my best friend in five years. (laughs) You know, it's not (laughs) like I'm five and I can be like, oh, well, she wore a purple t-shirt and that's why I'm her friend now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that finding friends as an adult is really hard in itself. And then finding friends that have kids and then your kids could get along with, like, I'm sure that it just adds so much more to (laughs) to it as well. And I think going back to the piece around alcohol, too, I think it's also to find friends and do things that don't include alcohol is another layer of there comes a point in your life when you're done with that, or maybe you're not, but you don't want to do it anymore. And that becomes like, well, then what do we do? And so for us, we've found, 
yes, we even though we have kids, we have also found that nature and adventure is kind of the fill in, right? Now we have this thing that we can do together with other people. It's helped us. But let's talk a little bit about building community, kind of the stories of the podcast, the development of Nature Untold. Can you just kind of give us a glimpse behind the scenes of like, what was the inspiration that led to this podcast being created? Yeah, sure. So I was co-producing and co-hosting a different podcast when I thought of this called The Stokecast. And I was newly sober and was trying to find, you know, cohesive stories around recovery and addiction and sobriety within the outdoor community, because that is probably the biggest community that I identify with. And while there's some really great stories out there, you know, of random podcast episodes here and there, random articles here and there, things like that. I do think that there wasn't anything that was consistent and cohesive that was trying to just tell these stories on a consistent basis. And so I sort of reached out to different groups and, you know, Facebook groups or whatever people that I know in the community and was like, is this something that you would find helpful? And also, am I missing something? Is there something Mm -hmm. already out there? Because I don't want to like recreate the wheel. And ultimately, people thought it would be really helpful. And so I started to interview folks who had some sort of story when it comes to sobriety, recovery, and addiction in the outdoor space. And we are very vague with the outdoor space because it can be people who just like going on like an afternoon walk along their, you know, bike path with their dog, or it can be people who are trying to like ski off of Denali, you know, like there's, (laughs) there's everything in between. So I just say that because I think when people hear like outdoor industry or outdoor community, sometimes they struggle to see themselves in it. And that is another, you know, thing that we can maybe normalize or take back is like, if you go outdoors, you're in the outdoor community. And then the other piece of it is we really try to tell varied stories of these types of topics because in traditional media that's outside of the outdoor community, you know, we see a lot of like, he was drunk driving and he ran into a pole and killed someone and he was in a jail cell. And then, you know, that was his rock bottom. And then he went to AA and now he's cured. Okay. That is definitely one story that is being told and very valid story. Everyone's recovery journey is their own and is very valid. However, I wanted there to be a place in which more than just the traditional like AA style recovery stories could be told. So we represent things like alcoholism. We talk about drug addiction. We've talked about codependency, love and sex addiction. We did an episode on eating disorder recovery and how that can mirror and sometimes include substance use disorders. So there's a lot of variety. And that was super intentional because I wanted there to be lots of examples for people to think about and call upon. And ultimately the goals, there's two goals. The first is which it is for people in our community to feel heard and understood and seen. Like, wow, I felt that way and I had no one voice it at any time in my life. And I'm so grateful for that. That is the one goal. And then the secondary goal is to really make sure that people who are in the community, maybe they don't identify with these particular issues, But this is a place in which they can learn how to be more compassionate, empathetic community members to people around them. So it's learning how people go through this, maybe what you should say to someone that doesn't include alcohol, or maybe things to take out of your vocabulary when you're talking to someone who 
or when you're talking to anyone, maybe doesn't include things about their body, you know, for eating disorder mm. recovery communities. So anyways, I just sort of rattled off a lot. It's a, I think it's a yeah. wonderful space and it's been great to sort of see the community come around it. And now we're in a place where I hosted it for a year and we actually have a new host and now I'm stepping back and being the producer. So the new host is John Holdmeyer, who was a past guest and great friend of mine, and he's doing a fantastic job. Yay. And I, yeah, I see you really pulling people. And I, I actually, you know, even in your LinkedIn profile, I see things like this come up where you're encouraging, you're empowering people to tell their stories, you're telling people about podcasts and encouraging them on their journey. And I just see you behind the scenes, maybe even out in front of the scenes sometimes. And I think that encouraging voice is also just very quiet, not from you, but like in the world, right? We don't always see people or expect people to encourage us to tell our stories. And that's so welcome. It's such a nice surprise, I guess I would say, because <laughs> it's, again, you don't expect people to say the world needs to hear your story. And if you don't have a podcast, why? You know, those kinds of things are questions I see you asking. Yeah. And it just makes space, right? Going back to making the space for what needs to be in our world. I think that is such a honorable just mission and the things that you're working on. I'm really excited to, to continue to listen to and follow along. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I will say with the trying to get people to use their voices, I got to say like, you know, I don't think that every single person that looked at that was like, she's right. I'm going to start my podcast and, and that's <laughs> fine. But I, what I want them to understand is that they don't need to remain small and live a small life. I just think that, you know, regardless of who a person is, they have an, almost an obligation, to, honestly, to share themselves with some part of the world that doesn't need to be on the internet. It can be in your local community. But I think it's just, you never know what impact you're having. And maybe someone needs to hear exactly from you. That is awesome. If someone wants to hear from you and they want to know more about the work that you've been working on, how could they find it and how can they follow you? Yeah. So my main Instagram um, is Emily Laurel Holland. Very long, my full name. <laughs> mm -hmm. My sort of podcast nerding uh, Instagram is Podcast Nerdery, also a weird name. And then uh, if you want to follow along for Nature Untold, that's on basically every podcast platform you could think of if you want to listen. And then we have an Instagram and, and private Facebook group as well. So any of those, just look up Nature Untold and it should come up for you. Awesome. I do think I have most of those linked. And if not, I'll make sure they are linked in the show notes. Is there anything else that I didn't ask that you wish I would have or that you want to leave my listeners just thinking about? Yeah, perhaps one thing that I just wanted to mention in this connection with nature and community that we were sort of talking about is that I am a firm believer that nature alone will not heal all that ails you. And I think what you mentioned earlier about community is super, super important. So what I'd like to leave people with is find that combination of time in nature and time with community members that feels positive and uplifting. And I think those two things together will be the thing that changes things for you. Well said. Yeah, it's not is one thing. It's multiple. It's but and mm -hmm. I think that's really meaningful and powerful. You know, that time in nature alone will not heal. It's the power of nature plus community really is kind of a magical equation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Heidi. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you, Emily. Again, you can find her at the Nature Untold podcast. You can find her at Podcast Geekery. You can find her in a lot of different places. All of those are linked in the show notes. But I have 12 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, encouraging people to show up as they are gives power to others. You never know how much your voice is needed. Number two, we are conditioned to only bring part of ourselves. Honoring the fullness of our lives leads to deeper connection. Number three, Emily had an angsty storm over her teenage years, and while she thought alcohol was numbing the angst, it actually was intensifying it. When she drank, she was just more emotionally reactive and damaging to herself and others. Ultimately, she was simply sick of having the conversation with herself around alcohol. By opting out of alcohol, she was able to make space for the other things that she wanted in her life. Number four, Emily's approach was to take three months off from alcohol, and now two years later, she's still sober. She's proud to hang her hat on this and no longer feels that alcohol is a part of her identity. Number five, as a checkpoint, if you have a habit or something that doesn't really fit your life, create a little space to gather data. One suggestion in when you're creating habits is to give yourself five minutes before grabbing the drink or booking the flight. It's similar to Viktor Frankl's quote, between the stimulus and the response is a space, and in that space is your power. Number six, having proximity to nature and the things they enjoy allowed them to embed activities into their daily life as opposed to being weekend warriors. Number seven, the outdoors were infused into her childhood. Whether it was true or not, she felt like an outsider and felt shame in relation to others. If you don't have a good sense of self, it's hard to have the confidence to believe in what you like and enjoy. Number eight, hiking in the Adirondacks was a reset. Finding friends who shared the joy was helpful in welcoming her back to nature. It's important to define the environmental factors that and clarity around who is in your community. A big reason people resort to drugs and alcohol is because they don't feel a connection. Nature is a place to feel connection to yourself, others, and the greater world. However, nature alone will not heal you and all that ails you. Community is a critical component. So therefore, nature plus community is the formula to define. Number nine, while Emily is no longer practicing organized religion, she finds value in experiencing different pieces of religion. After a recent visit to a church, it was very clear to her why religion is important to so many people. Unless you create it, it's extremely hard to find that level of connection. Number 10, finding friends as an adult is hard. When you add layers of complexity of having kids or exploring life without alcohol, it's even harder. Number 11, Nature Untold is a podcast that tells stories of sobriety, recovery, and addiction in the outdoor space. The outdoor space is a broad spectrum from going for a walk to skiing Denali. It also shares the varied stories of recovery instead of the traditional AA stories that offer many more examples to what recovery can look like. The goals are to see and feel heard, seen, and understood, while also teaching people to be empathetic and compassionate community members. And number 12, not every person needs a podcast, but you also don't need to remain small and live someone else's narrative. This episode was really enlightening. I think it gave voice to some of the things that we don't always talk about, not just even in the outdoor space, but just in life. And I really appreciate Emily Holland coming on and giving voice to some of those pieces of her story and allowing others to potentially see themselves in it. 
I hope you have an amazing week. We will be in touch. Until then, keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.